Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello there. Welcome to the In For A Penny podcast. My name, as ever, is Mark Schoffman and I am a freelance personal finance journalist. Hello, as ever, Mark Schoffman. I just thought if people listen to this regularly, they'll know, and they'll know that that voice, those dulcet tones, belong to Joshua Gersler, who is a financial planner from the advisory... No, who is a financial planner from the Orchard Practice. Right. But I'll get, get that right. You've joined us in episode five of a series we are doing focusing on mortgages, on the mortgage market. If you've missed previous episodes, we've also... Do you want to tell, tell the listeners what, what we've spoken about previously, Joshua? Yeah, we've spoken about the house buying process, we've spoken about the mortgage process, we've spoken about deposits and loan to value, we've spoken about the different types of ways to repay your mortgage, and I believe now in episode five we're going to talk about mortgage options, the different types of rates, different types of fees, things like that. Sounds exciting. Yeah. Okay. Pleased to see that uh, whilst we're recording this episode, you're not drinking any whiskey this morning. Because we are recording in the morning and you have a glass of water. I, do, I thought we'd give the whiskey a rest because... Glad to see that. It is the morning. Before we uh, go to mortgage options, I just want to give you and the listeners an insight into our um, into our audience. I think it's sometimes nice to know who else is listening alongside you. Okay. So um, one of the places you can listen to the In For A Penny podcast is Spotify. Yeah. Have you heard of Spotify? I have, yeah. Yeah. Music streaming service, I believe. Music streaming, yeah, you're correct. And I can tell you, so far on Spotify, 100% of our listeners are male. So I think we've got a little bit of work to do there. Interesting. To attract the females. It's like high school all over again. (laughs) Um, Half our listeners are 18 to 22, which I think is good. We're reaching the younger age group. Yeah. And it's good to get the younger people financially literate. That's right. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're doing it. But also, we are appealing to 28 to 34-year-olds, which is... Sort of our age bracket, although we're both rapidly I, I, coming out of that. I am out of that. Already. You are I've out been of out of that for a couple of years. You're in 35 <laughs> to 44. I am indeed. It's annoying when you like leave a bracket, isn't it? it is, it's yes. like the end of an era. So this is just Spotify. This isn't every list. Just Spotify. Okay, interesting then that most of our Spotify listeners are male in those age brackets. Okay. The other interesting thing is what else our audience also listen to. Because on Spotify, you can listen to podcasts, but also music, yeah. songs. So here's, I'm going to name some artists and I want to see if you know any of their songs. Okay. Okay. One of the other artists people listen to are the Lumineers. The Lumineers. Do you know them? I have heard of them, but I haven't got a clue. I couldn't tell you one of their songs. Okay. What about Ed Sheeran? I've heard of Ed Everyone's Sheeran, heard of yeah. Ed Sheeran. Um, Escape the Fate. I have not heard of Escape the I'm Fate. I'm sure they're very good. Uh, Crystal Castles. I haven't heard of Crystal Castles either. And Milky Chance. No, I'm... I'm uh... That's why I'm in the next age category because I have not heard of most of these uh, most of these bands. I'm firmly in the 35 to 44 year olds. Time to get on with the show. Okay, so mortgage options. Yeah, it's easy enough to say to get a property you need a mortgage. Yeah, but how is a mortgage actually structured? Well, in terms of the rates you can have, there are different types of interest rates. Rates. There are tracker rates. There are variable rates. There are discount rates. The easiest one to understand is a fixed rate. What that means is that your interest rate during a certain number of years is fixed. 
So whatever happens in the wider market, whatever happens to the uh, economy, your payments and your interest rate will be fixed. So you will have certainty over what you're going to pay. So your monthly repayments will always be the same. Correct, during that period. And for most younger first-time buyers, a a fixed rate tends to be their favourite option, tends to be the sensible way to go. Because they're they're stretching themselves financially. And so to have that security and knowledge over what their payments are going to be is uh, helpful for budgeting purposes. The next most common type of rate is a tracker rate. And normally that tracks the Bank of England base rate. Bank of England base rate is currently 0.75%. Correct. Thank you. So you could have a tracker rate, which is the base rate plus one. So you're very good at maths. That would mean your current rate payable is... 1.75%. 1.75%. Correct. So if the base rate went down by half a percent to 0.25%, your pay, your interest rate would go down to... 0.25%. Correct. And if the base rate went... Oh, that's... Yep. And if Don't the base that. rate went up half a percent to 1.25%, your interest rate would be... 2.25%. Correct. Say it with confidence. Wow. I, just, I just don't like doing maths so early in the morning. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so that... A tracker rate gives you a bit of uncertainty, but what it does allow you to do is benefit from any falls in interest rates, but at the same time, you will suffer from any rises in interest rates. And I think at the moment, about 90% of our clients we're arranging fixed rates for. My first mortgage was a tracker rate. Mine too. Um, I think that's because I got a mortgage in 2008. Yeah. I think at the time... Why would I have got a tracker? Well, rates were probably around 5% in 2008. So why would I have got a tracker rate then? Because two th- it's when in 2008? Early or late? I think early. Because around 07, 08 was a credit crunch. Yeah. And there were expectations that the Bank of England were going to put rates down to combat um, the, the effects on the economy. So maybe you thought, or whoever helped you with your mortgage, um, it was before my time, whoever helped you thought that it would be worth having a tracker. And it did benefit me because their mortgage rates went down and so did my mortgage payments. So I remember I also had a tracker rate mortgage first, my first property, which is around about 07, 08, um, starting off at half a percent where rates were. And the deal was the base rate minus 0.26%. Oh. So I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Every month I was getting a letter from the mortgage lender saying, Interest rates have gone down and your payments have gone down. I thought this is amazing. This mortgage business. Every time, every month, it just goes down and down. At the same time, I remember being on my backer at around 2013 yeah. when there was talk of interest rates going back up. So I fixed yeah. for um, five years. Yeah. But I mean, I don't think rates did go up for another few years. How how do you make that decision when to switch from a tracker to a fix? You can only base it on your circumstances at that point in time. It's impossible to predict the future. The only people that know for certain whether rates are going to go up are the people on the Monetary Policy Committee when they sit in their meeting and, and make their vote. So anyone that tells you what's going to happen is guessing. Half the experts say rates are going to go up and half the experts say rates are going to go down. So I would always base it on the, de- the decision on your need for whether you need that certainty and whether you feel you would benefit from being on a tracker rate. Do you think it's unhelpful that the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee puts out the minutes of its meetings and the Bank of England governor does speeches where he says, oh, we expect interest rates may have to increase twice this year or... And then they don't. And then they don't. 
What's he been known as? The, uh... the unreliable boyfriend. No, no, what have you been known as? What's he been known as? <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's a strange one that that they do put out. What's his name? Mark Kearney. Connie. Connie. Puts out, that's just my accent, <laughs> puts out comments that um, don't always come to fruition. It's difficult because he, he maybe he's just saying what he thinks at the time and then circumstances change, which is why I say you can't really rely on... Um, the experts are telling you you've got to base it on your circumstances at that point in time. When you do have a rate type, whether it's a fixed rate or a tracker rate, you can also choose a number of years you want that to to be for. So you said you fixed your rate for five years. Five years. Okay. Which a lot of people like to do because it gives you certainty for five years as to what your payments are going to be. Yes. You can also fix for two years. Okay. Sometimes they're three-year deals. Very rarely four years. There are seven-year deals, wow. and there are ten-year deals. Ten years sounds a bit risky. What way risky? Well, because you're fixing your payments for a long time, but in that period, if rates go down, there could be cheaper mortgages that you're missing out on. It could be. That is the uh, the trade-off. You're paying for the certainty. Um, over a ten-year period, I, I guess if someone would have fixed their mortgage ten years ago, they would have thought, well, rates are so low, they've got to go up over the next ten years. They haven't really moved. And you'd probably think the same now if you're fixing yeah. for ten years. There's some 10-year fixes that you can switch after five years. Yeah, so TSB, I know, is one of the lenders at the moment who does that as an option, and it's it's a good option to have. So you're getting the security of a 10-year deal, but with the flexibility of a five-year. There are also what are called variable rates, and the most common one that people will know is the standard variable rate. And this is the one that mortgage switches to at the end of a deal. Correct. So People are often advised to avoid those. Yeah, normally, correct. So you've got a five-year fixed rate. So at the end of the five years, you will go on to the lender's standard variable rate. And that basically means they can set that rate at whatever they want it to be. And they can move it up or down based on whatever they want. It's not linked to an index. Is that typically higher than the rates on the market? It is normally much higher. So most people, I would say 90% of the time, are best off to remortgage and change lenders at the end of the deal. That's not advice, by the way, listeners. You need to look at it and make sure. Um, but I would say for most people, you get a better deal by, by switching or at least looking to switch. The Some people can't help but be on a standard variable rate. And I think we might have briefly spoke about mortgage prison, prisoners oh, yes. in an in a earlier podcast. Um, if you are on your lender's standard variable rate, I would suggest you either call them up and ask if they can move you on to another rate or even better speak to a mortgage advisor and look at the whole market to see if there's a better option for you. What about discount rates? Oh, that's a great question, Mark. Discount rates tend to be linked to the variable rates. So often a lender will say, we will give you the standard variable rates with a discount of 1% for two years. So let's say the lender's variable rate is 5% and you've got a 1% discount. Let's see if you can get three out of three, Mark. Your rate would be? percent right. if they put their variable rate up to six percent your rate would be five percent you are flying today look at this you're in the wrong career hey and that's how a discount rate works it's the variable rate with a discount for a little bit and can these be are these fixed over a certain period then well they're not fixed for a certain period but you get the discounts for a certain yeah. period so if they put their variable rate up or down your rate goes up or down once the discount period ends, let's say it's discount for two years, then you just revert to the standard variable rate. See. And how much warning are you given before your fixed rate or your term ends? 
So if you're on a two-year fix, then you're going to move on to your standard variable rate. I How much warning are you giving? The lenders are getting in touch with people earlier and earlier. So we will tend to contact our clients about three months before the end of the deal, which is plenty of time to look at the market and arrange their new mortgage. Lenders are sometimes contacting clients as early as four, five or six months before, which is uh, interesting because they don't want to lose the clients. Um, whereas we aren't, we don't care which lender the client is with as long as it's the best deal for the client. And obviously, if a lender's contacting you, they only want you to switch to their products. Correct. Yeah, a lender wouldn't say to you, please go to our competitors. Obviously, the best things in life aren't free. Mortgages aren't necessarily the best things in life, but also they're not necessarily free. How are banks and advisors compensated for providing these mortgages? So there are different types of fees involved with mortgages. The most common one that people know of is the lender's arrangement fee. I see. So the mortgage lender charges a fee to arrange your mortgage. And these can vary from zero to thousands of pounds. So you've got to be careful when you're selecting a mortgage to make sure you look at what the fees are. I would say the typical fee at the moment, maybe the sort of average fee is about 999, £999. Um, you can add lenders' arrangements fees to the loan, which means you don't have to have the cash to pay it up front. Some lenders charge their arrangement fee as a percentage of the amount you borrow. Okay. So rather than saying we're going to charge you £999, they say we're going to charge you 1% or 2% or whatever it may be. So if you have a big mortgage, a percentage fee is bad for you because it's going to be expensive. Yeah. If you have a smaller mortgage, then the percentage fee might work in your favour. So just to add some numbers to that for our listeners, if you have a £100,000 mortgage and the lender's arrangement fee is 1%, that's going to cost you £1,000. If you have a million-pound mortgage and the lender charges charges you 1%, that's going to cost you £10,000. So percentage can make a big difference. On Uh, the the arrangement fees, I guess that means a low rate with a high fee could end up being more expensive than a higher rate with a lower fee. Spot on. Yeah, absolutely right. It's important to check both. Correct. You've got to look at the whole package, not just the rate. Is that it? Is that the only fee? That isn't the only fee. There are the biggest fee or expense that people will have with buying a property is stamp duty. I see. That is, for people that don't know, that is basically tax you pay to buy a house or a flat, so to buy a property. Um, and it's always been a political tool, stamp duty. Yeah. Governments have put it up and down, but it is the biggest expense you are going to incur. I have actually, on my phone, which I'm going to take out of my pocket, a stamp duty calculator. Give, let's give the listeners an idea of some of the potential sta- uh, stamp duties you could incur. Truth test, obviously, make clear that first-time buyers currently have an exemption. Go on, make that clear. Up to £300,000, they don't pay stamp duty, as long as a purchase is a maximum of £500,000. Okay. So, so if you're a first-time buyer, you don't have to worry as much, but it's, yeah, if you're trying to move up the ladder where properties tend to actually be more expensive it makes it more difficult so let's use that number of three hundred thousand pounds if you are buying a property of three hundred thousand pounds yeah if you're a home mover you'll pay five thousand pounds stamp duty if you're a first-time buyer you will pay zero quite a nice saving five thousand pounds if you own a property and this is your second property so you're keeping the first one you'd pay fourteen thousand pounds this is because of the additional rate 
of stamp duty. Correct. So there is an extra 3% levied on second purchases. Let's now look at a property for a billion pounds. So if you are a home mover, you will pay £43,750 on a million pound property. If you're a first time buyer, you'll also pay 43700 And if this is your second home, you'd pay 73700 That must deter a lot of people. Oh, so you can see, as the purchase price gets more expensive, the stamp duty gets more expensive, and that's why there are less transactions happening at the higher end of the market at the moment. Do you think for first-time buyers it means seller will increase their price a bit because they know the buyer will be saving on stamp duty so they may not mind paying a little bit more? I don't know. I don't know whether the seller would know unless it's been discussed. I think there's a temptation to do that. That's a bit mean. I don't know. That's just me thinking out loud. Okay. Don't do it again. (laughs) And there's also, you may incur, if you use an advisor, and I believe our next episode is going to be about the pros and cons of using mortgage advisors. They may charge you a fee for their services. What? I'll tell you why I said what. We'll discuss this more in the next episode, but aren't advisors also paid a procurement fee? Correct. So most lenders pay a procurement fee or what's most of us know as a commission. Fees can vary from mortgage advisors. Some will charge nothing yep. and some will charge, again, a percentage of the price. So you could end up paying thousands of pounds. Um, we charge £435 flat fee, whether it's easy, complicated, however big or small, that's a flat fee. Another fee that you have in the mortgage area is valuation fees. Okay. So the lender needs to go and value the property that you are buying. Because you could say to them, I'm buying this house, it's half a million pounds, and they just have to take your word for it. uh, It could be that you're buying just a bit of land with a shed on it. So they go and value the property, make sure it is worth what they say it is, what you say it is. So you have to pay for the lender's own value, or can you choose your own one? You can't choose your own one because it needs to be independent. So there is a risk that you could find a mate to go and value the property and say it's worth what you need it to be. The lender normally sends a uh, third-party chartered surveyor to go and value it. Fees for that can vary. Some mortgages, that's free, and the lender pays for it. Um, And then depending on the price of the property, it could be anything from a few hundred pounds to a couple of thousand pounds. I've done mortgages for people buying a couple of hundred thousand pound property, and the fee was a few hundred pounds. I've done mortgages for people buying... Eight million pound property, nine million pound, and they're paying about three, four thousand pounds in fees. What about the um, legal process, the kind of conveyancing and getting the deal done? Does, does that cost any money? Yeah, so you need to pay your solicitor to uh, to act for you, and legal fees again can vary. Some mortgages that the lender will provide the legal fees. That's normally on a remortgage, so you don't need to pay any legal fees. If you need to pay it yourself, it can be anything from a few hundred pounds to thousands of pounds again depending on how complex the transaction is so make sure that you get a trusted solicitor and speak to a couple before committing to make sure you're happy with the individual and the quote they've given you so you choose your own lender if it's a purchase you choose your own lender rather than the mortgage you mean you choose your your own solicitor rather than the lender that's right you can choose your own solicitor but most lenders have a panel of approved solicitors so you need to make sure your solicitor is on the approved panel. How do you do that? Um, call the lender and ask. If you're using an advisor, they'll look it up for you and tell you. I've had, or ask the solicitor. I've had situations where clients come to me 
um, and said, right, this is my solicitor. I've arranged the mortgage. And when I'm applying, it turns out their solicitor is not on the approved panel. So you've got a few options in that situation. You can change solicitor. Yep. Or you can ask your solicitor if they have a workaround. So some solicitors have tie-ups with other solicitors where they're, if they're not on the panel, they will work on the application together. I see. Does um, that mean you pay twice? It can It can mean that, yeah. So yeah. I normally suggest that people change solicitor if they're not too far in the process because having more than one solicitor has two problems, increasing costs and increasing complications. You don't want that. You don't want that. Uh, okay, so you're, you've paid for your valuation for your legals. You also have, some lenders have a booking fee or a reservation fee. So, What's that? So it's, it's a bit like an application fee. So when you apply, the lender asks you to pay a fee at that point in time to cover their initial admin costs. You've got to pay a fee just to apply. Correct. It could be £99, £199, um, which, if it doesn't go ahead, is normally not refundable. So you've got to be serious. Yeah, I think that's why the lenders do it. They don't want time wasters, and they want to know that they're going to be covered for their costs. What if you just want to... But what if you're not sure if you can get the mortgage? You shouldn't be applying if you're not sure. Or you just want to see what what sort of rate they can offer you. I mean, I would normally... Not normally. I would always only suggest applying... When you know you're going, to, when you're 99% sure you're going to get approved, some lenders charge a what's called a higher lending charge. Ah, so a higher lending charge is not actually very common nowadays. I don't really see them anymore. But where you were buying a high loan-to-value property, and we've covered loan-to-value before, the higher lending charge was charged by the lender to give them money to buy an insurance policy to protect themselves, so not protect you, protect themselves should you default on the mortgage. So because you've only put a small deposit in, this covers the lender if the property falls in value after you buy it. See? But I I haven't seen one of those for a very long time. A couple of other types of fees to think about. Early repayment charges, which we talked about in a previous episode. Should we... So at a very high level, that is a charge if you want to repay your mortgage early. A another you, one they you have, only pay that if you're in, in a fixed rate deal. Like if you were on the standard variable rate, there wouldn't be a fee. Correct. Usually not on a standard variable rate, but sometimes tracker rates have early repayment charges as well. Okay. Um, chaps fees or backs fees. So most lenders will charge a fee to transfer the funds to your solicitor upon completion. That seems a bit cheeky. Uh, I don't know whether they get charged and they're just passing that cost on or whether they are being cheeky and taking a mick. Something for you to look into as a freelance personal finance You're right, yeah. And the final one I can think of at the moment is an exit fee. When you leave your lender, whether that's um, during the early stages or at the end of the whole term, so 30 years later, whatever it may be. Or if you remortgage? Yeah, or if you remortgage, they charge an exit fee to close down your account, which is usually a couple of hundred pounds. That also seems a bit cheeky. Why would they need to do that? Why do they need to? Well, they don't really need to. They shouldn't have to do it. Um, they're sort of administration charge to say, we've got to finish everything off, close down your account, send you the deeds for your property. I, I don't think they need to do it. They make enough money over the life of the mortgage. Exactly. Yeah. I think that more or less covers your mortgage options. I think that probably does. If anyone's got any other mortgage options or mortgage topics they want us to discuss, send us an email. What is our email address? Well, what do we use? You can email me. Yeah. Mark, M-A-R-C, at CavendishContent.com. So me, Mark, at CavendishContent.com. You can email myself. I, uh, my email is uh, Mark. M-Y-S-E-L-F-M-A-R-C. 
My email is mark, M-A-R-C, at cavendishcontent.com. Okay, so you can email Mark on M-A-R-C, M-A-R-C, at cavendishcontent.com. Or you can email me, Joshua, at topfs.co.uk. Me, Joshua. M-E-J-O-S-H-U-A. <laughs> Touché. Uh, you could tweet us at InforAPennyPod1, yep. at Mark Schoffman, at Josh Gersler. One request to our listeners before we say farewell. We'd love it if you could leave us a review. On I would iTunes. love it. It would make my day. It's hard work. We know it's a pain. But if you go into the show notes, you will see exactly how to do it. So tune into episode six, which is about why you may need a mortgage advisor. Do go back and catch up on the others if you need to. So for now, thank you for being in for a penny.